Welcome to Zebra Talks, where people living with hypermobility syndromes hear their experiences reflected in conversations with guest experts and fellow zebras living their best bendy lives. I'm your host, Dr. Libby Hinesley, physical therapist and author of Yoga for Bendy People. The information and opinions shared on this podcast should not be taken as medical advice and are not a substitute for diagnosis and treatment by a qualified healthcare professional. And now, let's get started with today's Zebra Talk. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Jeannie Debon. Jeannie, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here today. Jeannie is a movement therapist based in London, specializing in working with people with hypermobility, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and chronic pain. Originally trained in Pilates, over the past decade, her research and study have gone on to encompass biomechanics, anatomy, neuroscience, and pain management. She is now undertaking an MSc degree in pain management. Jeannie has hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and rehabbed her body and mind from chronic pain. She presents for the EDS Society and other charities. Jeannie is also an educator of teachers and therapists in the field of movement therapy with the EDS ECHO program. In July of 2019, Jeannie launched the Zebra Club, a comprehensive collection of movement classes for people with hypermobility, EDS, and chronic pain. And in November of 2021, the Zebra Club was transformed into an easily accessible app for home use. Jeannie's first book, Pilates Without Tears, published in 2016, continues to be sold internationally, receiving outstanding feedback. Her second book, Hypermobility Without Tears, was released in May of 2019 and has been endorsed by patients and medical professionals. She is currently working on a third book, due out in 2024, on the integral movement method. That is awesome. That's a lot of accolades and accomplishments. Again, welcome, Jeannie. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Super excited to be here. So thank you so much. Of course. So I'd love to start out by asking you to describe a little bit about your personal experience with hypermobility and how that has shaped what you have come to do in the world now. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think like many of us, I came from a personal journey, a personal experience with symptoms starting when I was like 13 with pain and what was diagnosed as irritable bowel syndrome. And then going through my life with all these myriad of symptoms that nobody could join the dots with, lots of different things going on. And it wasn't until I got very, very sick, gosh, back in 2019 actually so four years ago with something we now know is called mast cell activation syndrome that's how I got my actual EDS HEDS diagnosis so I've gone pretty much my whole life I've only known for four years that I have EDS or hypermobility to be fair so yeah that's how I got here but funnily enough I started working with the EDS population a long time ago so back probably 14 years, I had my first EDS patient. And then I started getting more EDS patients. And I started looking at thinking, well, I've got this and I've got this. And that, that sounds familiar. So the more I work with them, I'm thinking, mm, I think I might have this as well. But of course, you don't get a diagnosis. We know how hard it is to get a diagnosis. So I have worked in the community for a long time. 
without actually realizing I had it myself. But being in pain throughout that whole time and then working with people in pain really shaped um, my work into EDS and hypermobility. And despite not knowing I had it, I really wanted to contribute to the community. And my first course, Strengthen Your Hypermobile Core, came out in 2017. And that was the first online offering for sort of hypermobile Pilates-based exercise. So I did that coming from working with all those clients and my own experience of being in pain without realizing I had EDS as well. So yes, and it's obviously my personal journey isn't unusual, right? We all know how difficult it is and people go many, many years without getting help and support and your podcast and all the awareness that goes on now is really helping raise that awareness. So it's brilliant. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I always, you know, see so many parallels among different people's stories, including my own, like you as a practitioner treating a population that is heavy on hypermobility in my case, which was injured yoga people (laughs) as a physical therapist and yoga therapist, I was attracting all these people clinically And I started treating them and I always knew that I was bendy, but I just didn't really understand much more about it. And just like you, I was like, God, this is so familiar. These patterns are repeating. And that was part of what led me ultimately to get my diagnosis too. So really interesting. Because if you're coming from a personal experience, you can actually really understand what the client is saying. You can understand where they're coming from because you've been there. And I think that's a really powerful thing to actually say to someone, I totally get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I can totally relate to that. And you know how to deal with it because you've probably rehabbed yourself or helped yourself get out of that painful situation through movement. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, it's a, a nice thing to be able to have, I think. I think so too. And I'd love to hear about your own personal recipe for self-care. What have you come to piece together for yourself that's made you feel so much better in your body and your mind? Yeah, I absolutely feel like a different person to how I felt when I was going through my 20s, 30s, even 40s um, and with pregnancy and my body kind of fell apart. That's how I got into Pilates after my second child because my body literally fell apart. I was in so much pain. I, The physio told me, you're just hanging off your joints, you've got no stability. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. What do you, you know, I really was so clueless and lacked so much self-awareness and proprioception. So looking back, I'm like, wow, I've never felt better. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how did I do that movement? Absolutely. I mean, I went trained in Pilates, I started Pilates, and then I knew pretty quickly, oh, I want to do this, I want to learn more So that's how I got into the Pilates. Um, And then, as you said, in my bio, I started researching because, and as you probably experienced, you do have to modify things, right? Pilates, Mm -hmm. yoga, what some you have to modify. So certain things weren't working for me in the Pilates world. And I was like, "Mm, this isn't helping. This is making my neck worse. This is making my back worse. So I investigated lots of different disciplines um, and brought all that together into what I call the integral movement method. So movement absolutely is my number one go to. Um, But alongside that, along my journey, I really got into 
the mindfulness, the softness, the meditation. So I meditate every day. I find that essential for calming my nervous system down. So I'm very, my mast cells are very triggered by stress. And living with a chronic illness can be quite stressful. So every single day I meditate without fail. And then taking time for myself, having rest, which was a really difficult thing for me to do, especially as a mom and a business owner and a wife and all those different roles we have, actually saying, I need to sit down and just rest for an hour a day and just maybe have a power nap or maybe just not do anything. And so I built that into my day as well. So rest, movement, meditation, sleep, obviously trying to get good sleep, which again, isn't always easy when you've got things going on with this mm. condition. But yeah, all those things, I think there's not a one size fit, fits all. We blend together lots of different things mm. to come up with what works for us. Yes. And that does seem to be the answer for most people. This is so person specific, what works for each individual is going to be unique and it will change over time to some degree. So I like this idea of experimenting with different modalities to start to piece together. What's the recipe that works the best for you. And that's taken me a long time to figure out too. And I'm probably still figuring it out, but I think that there is sometimes for people with hypermobility syndromes, a lot of fear around movement because they're in pain. And that's a big hurdle to get over. And part of what I think is helpful for people to get over that hurdle to even access movement is a mindset shift about pain itself. So I would love to ask you about your recent studies in chronic pain and that neuroscience of pain because it's one of my favorite topics. It's really complex, of course, but understanding how to change the narrative for ourselves and also for any clients that we're working with is really one of the big keys, I think. Yes. So I decided to undertake an MSc in pain management. So I started last September. So I've done my first year, Mm. largely because, well, the number one reason people come to see me is because they're in pain. Mm. Um, As you say, chronic pain. Most of us have had pain from teenage years. So it was a big part of everything I was doing. So my movement method that I devised, the integral movement method for myself, and then I saw it in my clients, through pain, through anxiety, as you said, through fear of movement, people hold these bracing patterns or these guarding patterns. And there was a lot of tension in the people I was seeing in their tissues, emotionally, physically, and you know, the blend of both of those things coming together can have a real impact on how someone moves, how they breathe, how they feel. So that's why my first two principles are breath and relaxation, because I think if you can start calming that down and making someone feel safe so when you're dealing with chronic pain the number one issue or thing we should try and do is help people feel safe mm-hmm. in their environment, but in their own body as well and lying someone on a table making them feel comfortable and just helping them recognize their breathing patterns can we help them find some relaxation some relief from their pain through breath 
Um, and there is research actually that supports that. So I knew I was on the right track because I was seeing people coming in and our first session is often just breath work, relaxation. We're not just jumping in and doing exercise. That has to wait until somebody feels a little bit safer, especially if they've had lots of bad experiences in the past. Um, so I was really curious about, okay, what's going on here and how am I impacting someone's pain experience but I knew that people were coming back saying I feel so much better I've got less pain etc etc so I got really interested in the pain management side of things so yes I enrolled in this course and I was particularly drawn to this course because it focuses on the biopsychosocial model of pain management so I'm really interested in that because as you said pain is a very complex thing especially when you're dealing with EDS, it's not just going to be one thing that's causing the pain. Yeah, and we can have all different sorts of pain at the same time. <laughs> it can be really challenging. So I wanted to know more about that. So yeah, my course, we do lots and lots of research. And of course, I'm interested in hypermobility and pain management and hopefully exercise. The problem I'm having is that there's not an awful lot of research out there on exercise and hypermobility and EDS. So that's a challenge for me. Um, I'm really wanting to contribute to that research. And I hope my dissertation can be around that. Um, so actually, we are going to be contributing to that with, um, I'm undertaking a research study with Dr. Russick from Clarkson University, who you may know, and Jane Simmons from UCL in London. And we're studying my first hypermobile course strengthen your hypermobile core, which we did back in 2018. We did a massive study of over 600 people who were using this online course. And we're still going through the data because we have masses and masses of data. So we do hope to publish that soon to help to contribute to the evidence-based research out there on how to inform clinical practice. So I think, how has it impacted me? A, I'm loving learning all the research, and B, you know, there are no clinical guidelines for exercise in EDS. There just isn't. And I would love to contribute to that so that we actually have a roadmap. You know, people don't know what to do with hypermobile clients and patients, and people are often wary of working with EDS patients, and that's wrong. So if we could have something that says, well, actually, yes, we could follow this or some sort of guidelines. I think it would be really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what I'm hoping to contribute to in some small way. That is fabulous. Good work. <laughs> um, I think that will add a lot. I think I remember reading about your program, maybe the study that you mentioned that perhaps hasn't been published yet. So that'll be great as you sort through that data. Um, and you're right. They're really aren't any guidelines. And I see that a lot with other physical therapists and, and all kinds of different practitioners who are a little bit afraid of bendy people, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I kind of want to just print a t-shirt. Don't be afraid of the zebras. They're, yeah. oh, they're okay. They're unique. They need some special modifications and a special approach. And as you mentioned, I think the absolute number one thing is people must feel safe. Any kind of person must feel safe or their nervous system will just be a, a roadblock and it'll just not go well. So that's the key. Yeah. Personally, I've been really getting into resistance training for myself hmm. and finding that that has been the thing that actually helps me to feel the best and, and the heavier, the better actually, as I progress. 
And, yeah. and recently I started a little class for people that I work with here called Bendy and Badass. And it's a strength training class specifically for people with hypermobility syndromes. And it's really kind of like experimentation in a way, like myself and the other teacher are implementing strategies that we developed working with me as the guinea pig for about a year on yes. trying to optimize recovery and things like that. And it's going really well. But I remember reading a research of an N of three, maybe there was a study was very, very small on resistance training in people with EDS and how it helped their tendon stiffness and all that stuff. But that was kind of it. That was really all there was about resistance training in this population. So I would love to see so much more research on that. What's your take on that? Moving from more of the lower impact, lower resistance modalities into more functional loading for strength. Yeah, love it. Totally love it at the right time. As with all of these things, if it's done Mm -hmm. appropriately and in a timely fashion, I think it's great. I love resistance work, you know, Pilates reformer, trapeze table, I've got all of that. I go to the gym as well. But I think oftentimes people are told you need to exercise or you ability, you need to strengthen up. And people jump into doing the resistance work because that's what they think they need to be doing. But I think until first you feel safe, Second, you've got some awareness of actually my bones are supposed to be here, because if we start doing resistance and my bones are all over the place and we're going to injure ourselves, right? We're not going to work to an optimum fashion. So I think get those things in place, get good foundations in place. But we absolutely do need to start loading our tissues because we do need to build strength. And it's not a scary thing to do. Nobody go and start deadlifting 100 kilos or something Mm -hmm. we're going to be progressive so I start off with bands and little hand weights and magic circles the Pilates circle so we start adding some of that into my online classes in the zebra club and then if clients come to see me we're on the reformer you know Mm -hmm. we spring resistance we're using that so yeah I think it's a great thing under the right guidance if people know what they're doing And importantly, they know how to control their range of motion, throwing things around without control, you could potentially hurt yourself. So if people have got those good foundations, I think it's the next step. And I think it's great. Yeah, that slow pace. So two types of pacing, the pace of the actual movement in the exercise is key. And that's what we work with a lot, that motor control, which is so commonly so challenging for bendy people. They love momentum because it's so much easier, but yes, to control the mid range. And it's like the hardest thing ever, but also pacing as far as the progression of exercise. And you mentioned that tendency for people to just jump in and overdo it. And that might be kind of a human thing, but it certainly also seems magnified in the hypermobile population that boom and bust, the overdoing it and then getting laid out for five days with a big flare up. And so what are some of the principles that you use with clients and in some of your programs to help people mitigate that, not do too much, but push that capacity along the way too? Yeah. You know, again, we were saying earlier, the fact that there are no guidelines, there's nobody really saying this is what you 
you know, of course, there's no should with EDS because everyone's different, but there's no real information out there as yeah. to this is the best clinical practice for EDS. Right. And so doctors say to people, well, you need to exercise. So people go off and they do their best. But that's why I think people jump in because they've been told, oh, go to the gym or start mm -hmm. swimming or whatever it is and and they're not getting the proper guidance so that's a, a lacking from the professional side I think um, and that's why we need more awareness out there to help people get the right advice but yeah. you know it, with what you're talking about about avoiding the boom and bust so my big thing with my clients and in the zebra club is we've got to find your baseline so what can you do today that you can do comfortably, feeling safe, that doesn't cause a flare-up. And for yeah. a lot of people, that's one repetition or two repetitions yeah. with any load. We're not talking loaded stuff. And that's absolutely fine, you know, because if I can do one repetition today of whatever it is and nothing happens and I wake up and I feel, actually, I feel okay and I'll do it again tomorrow. And, oh, great, and I'll do it again. And as I get that baseline, I know... I can do one repetition and I'm okay. So maybe I'll progress to two repetitions. And so we build this, the gradient is a very gentle gradient rather than, okay, let's start you off at 10 reps or, you know, here you're given like physio exercises and it says 30 reps three times a day. And people are like, what? And most people with EDS can't tolerate 30 reps three times a day. You know, we're doing maximum maybe five reps once a day and so I think the narrative about what we're telling people they should be doing is different that might work for somebody who doesn't have EDS and I understand where that comes from but EDS rehab training whatever we're calling it has to be different and we can't just give out standard exercises and say, go home and do this. So it's all about baseline and what I call tissue tolerance, which isn't tissue tolerance as in the weightlifting kind of load equals capacity. It's what can I actually tolerate, which is dependent on all sorts of different things that are going on in my life, emotional, physical, psychological, all of those things, chemical, how are my mast cells today, et cetera, et cetera. What can I actually tolerate today that doesn't cause a flare up? Brilliant. Whatever that is, that's fantastic. And I think that's really, really important. And that's what I do with my clients. And that's how we avoid that boom and bust. That makes a lot of sense. I like to tell people, I'm really not interested in what you can do today, like what volume you can do. I'm interested in what you can do today and then feel okay tomorrow. What can you do and recover well from it? And yeah. people have to really study that. And they have to start, like you say, with one or two reps. So many clients and patients I've seen over the years, they'll bring me stacks and stacks of exercises they've gotten from the PT over time. And I'm like, how long would this even take you to do? This is so much. And they don't understand why their exercises, quote, you know, make them hurt worse. And I'll say, well, how many repetitions? Let me watch you do it. Well, they're fatigued after three reps but yet they're trying to do 20. And so that's just an example. And they don't understand. No one's ever told them that you can actually just do three. Exactly. Again, yeah. communication guidelines yeah. specific for our population. It's really lacking. Totally agree. Yeah. And it may take someone many, many weeks to get to the starting point in a way to find out their baseline. 
because we have to get there so slowly to make sure we're recovering and we're not flaring up then study the response, do it again, study the response. So it's a long-term road just to the starting point. It's a long game, you know, and people understand, look, it's going to take us a little bit longer, but you're going to have sustainable results. I think they can buy into that. You can imagine what it's like if you're trying to do 30 reps three times a day or whatever, and you're hurting yourself or you're just, you're not enjoying it. Why would you continue? And the other thing that comes into that, of course, is that then people are made to feel guilty or feel bad for not doing their exercises. And I just think that's so wrong. There shouldn't be a blame culture out there of like making people feel bad. There's a reason why they didn't do their exercises. So why aren't we looking and saying, well, why? Why didn't they do it? Do I need to change it? Do I need to modify it? Probably That's, I think, a real issue that we're dealing with. We need to change the narrative. Definitely. And I think that the more that practitioners can understand the fullness of these conditions, the pieces that make things sort of, quote, not make sense. You know, when I'm thinking about my own training as a PT, I didn't learn much at all about EDS. I learned so little. I would have never thought I had it. But certainly the idea is that this is a mechanical problem. It's a tissue problem. It's a musculoskeletal problem. And what causes so much trouble in my experience for recovery, like exercise tolerance is all the other stuff that people don't know about, like the POTS and the mast cell issues. Those are the recovery problems right there. Totally agree. And of course, yeah, that's a whole other ball game, isn't it? That people don't know. I mean, mast cells, relatively new kid on the block we're still learning about the impact of mast cells and not many people know about POTS either Um, but they have a huge impact on people's fatigue and recovery levels I mean when I was at my worst with mast cells um, I was really really unwell and I was so so tired I would finish work and I would go and sleep for a couple of hours I was severely fatigued mm-hmm. it wasn't until those mast cells got under control that I actually started to get my energy back so if people are dealing with the terrible trifecta which a lot of people are we can't expect them to go and do hours and hours of <laughs> exercise every day it's just not going to happen you know yeah exactly I'd love to hear more about your experience because when you became really ill after I think the birth of your second child you mentioned how did you climb out of that hole, that mast cell activation hole? (laughs) It sounds so similar to my own experience after the birth of my second child, which was six years ago. That's when I fell apart and I was so ill. Same. I would army crawl myself to bed at six or 7 PM and wake up just as exhausted. I really thought I was dying and it's been a slow climb out of it, but I'd love to hear about what did you discover that helped get your mast cells under control? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, of course. So after my second son, that's when my body physically fell apart. And I probably had mast cells going on, but they weren't, you know how it is, you you learn to live with stuff, right? So you learn to live with daily migraines and gut issues. And, you know, I had pneumonia three times after my second Mm -hmm. son born I was in hospital for weeks but nobody's joining the dots and you would never join the dots because you're not thinking about EDS right you're just like you say I honestly thought there was something seriously wrong with me 
because why was I getting pneumonia all the time? Why did I feel so awful? Why had I lost so much weight? You know, it was just awful. Now, actually, the mast cells really presented themselves when I entered the menopause, which, of course, we know that the hormonal changes have huge impacts on um, hypermobility. And it coincided with my mum, who sadly passed away very, very quickly. So I had this um, massive dose of stress, like in all in one go, and the menopause came together. And my mm. system said, no, not doing this anymore. So I started having fatigue, the brain fog. But what I started having is largely issues with my bladder. And I know a lot of people out there have the same issues with repeated bladder infections, constant you'd get rid of one another one would come you'd get rid of that another one three years of that and just telling me well it's normal for a woman of your age you know really condescending stuff you know there's nothing we can do just you know awful awful so I totally empathize with anyone who's going through that sort of treatment and luckily for me I finally saw someone who said you're starting the menopause so you need HRT. Great. Thank you. And she said, you need to go and see, uh, we have a wonderful doctor here called Professor Kula. You need to go and see Prof Kula. So off I went and thank goodness I did. He saved my life because I don't know where I'd be without him. And he looked at me and he did all the stuff and he said, you've got mast cells. And then he went through all the checklist, the criteria. And he said, have you heard of um, hypermobile EDS? And I was like, ah, oh, yeah. I actually started crying because it was such a relief that somebody hadn't told me it's all in your head or do you need counselling or all of those horrible things we get told. And he put me on the strong histamine blockers, changed my diet. I started my HRT. And like you say, it was a long, long journey. So it probably took another 18 months, two years to actually get those guys under control because they were having a big old party in my body but yeah lots of frustration lots of changing dose it's trial and error isn't it with these things because we don't with mast cells nobody really knows the best way so eventually got all that under control and all of a sudden you start feeling normal again but it was a very very dark few years um where you really feel quite isolated and yeah let down by the medical world actually um, so yeah, I totally empathize with anyone who's going through that journey. It's such a common story. It's probably the common story. What's less common is someone who <laughs> doesn't go through a decade or more of that type of chasing symptoms yeah. without any answers. And unfortunately with that kind of dismissive condescending treatment in the medical world, and it's really enraging for people and I hate it for them. And I really hope that changes. <laughs> and I think it is changing to some degree, but with the efforts of people like you and the EDS Society and all the different education and research that's going on out there. Yeah, it is changing. You know, and as I said, with my MSc that I'm doing, there isn't a lot of research out there on exercise and EDS. But actually, when you go on those databases and start looking up EDS, there is a lot of research being done. There is stuff going on. And I went to the EDS Society Scientific Symposium in Rome in September 22. And the people that are there and people you wouldn't have heard of, all these doctors, all these people, researchers doing the most amazing work. 
into EDS and how to treat it. And you're like, wow, there's so much going. It was so positive, so motivating and inspiring that there's a lot going on that we don't know about, but people are busy, busy in their research labs doing the work. It's really, really encouraging that things are going to change. It's wonderful. Oh, that is so wonderful to hear. I hope that gives other people hope and excitement the way it's giving me right now. <laughs> no, it's very cool. There's a lot of amazing people out there, so smart and so dedicated. And yeah, it was great. So fingers crossed, it's coming. The change is coming. That is so fabulous. Thanks so much for sharing all this. I would love to have you tell listeners where they can find you and all of your programs and learn more about what you're doing out in the world. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And yeah, so I've mentioned it during my chat, but the Zebra Club is my online app where we have lots going on. It's a beautiful community and we have classes from me and um, live events with expert speakers and huge amounts of resources in there. So the Zebra Club or the Zebra Club, as I, <laughs> that's one way they can find more about me. But I've got a big YouTube channel as well. So if people want to look at some of my movement things, it's uh, the Jeannie Debon Hypermobility channel. And I'm on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those. Just Google my name, Jeannie Debon. So yeah, thank you. Excellent. Well, I've learned a lot and it's great to connect with you and hear about your story a little bit. I'm so grateful for all the work you're doing in the world. So keep it up. I know it's meaningful for so many people. Thanks for your time and all of you listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time.